Today is the 8th of July, 2014, and this is episode 125. This episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is a new field of study. Consult your local futurist, lawyer, and investment advisor before making any decisions whatsoever for yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today we're back in the flow. This episode marks the start of our 51% Solutions series. For the next several episodes, you'll find at least half the show devoted to interviews and discussions about the problem of minor centralization and some of the proposed solutions. Today we kick things off with a conversation I had with Andreas a few weeks ago. We briefly catch up on his projects, then jump right into the ghash.io controversy, the true threat of the 51% attack, and what it all means in the big picture. Part two of today's show comes to us by way of Thomas over at worldcryptonetwork.com. At the recent Bitcoins in the Beltway event, he caught up with the mysterious Bitcoin musician Zhao Tonged. They talk origins in music, trading, and influences. Enjoy the show. So, Andreas, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. How are you doing, man? Doing great. Uh, it's been uh, rather busy, and I had one of those life events uh, moving out of a house, which was stressful and time-consuming, but uh, all is well, and uh, I'm really glad to be back on the show. So, Andreas, you're working on one of kind of the more comprehensive books in the Bitcoin space, and I know you've been working on it now for uh, coming up on a year, I guess, in a couple of months. Can you give us kind of an update on that for people who are waiting for it to come out? The book is uh, Mastering Bitcoin, and it is being published by O'Reilly Media, which is one of the leading uh, publishers for developers. They have an excellent series of books with animals on the covers called the Safari Series. And Mastering Bitcoin is going to come out as part of that. We, we've already got pre-sales up on the O'Reilly website. Uh, and as I promised in the early days, the book is available uh, under an open source license. So it's currently uh, available as an early release draft that people can buy. Uh, but it's also available on GitHub and people can go and read it and even do pull requests and submit issues and make changes to the book as it's being developed and see the development live. Uh, the first four chapters are already uh, published and working on chapter five, which is about transactions. And what I'm, I'm looking at the moment to see if uh, the community would uh, contribute various code snippets, uh, recipes, uh, bits of code that uh, demonstrate various concepts that I can include in the book. So um, I'm, I've am i received tremendous support from the community. So many people have submitted fixes and corrections and added bits of content, uh, and it's going very well. Uh, expected publication is going to be in the fall of uh, 2014. So um, now's the final stretch for the book. I expect to finish it in the next two months. Um, and, um, you know, after that, it will be available in print as an ebook, as well as as an online download under a Creative Commons attribution license so that anyone can read it and share it and even mash it up. Andreas, so one of the other reasons why you haven't been on uh, one of the, you know, some of the recent shows is because you're also teaching a class at the Nicosia University. It's a MOOC. So is this something that's available for people at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So the University of Nicosia, which is in Cyprus, has a very broad English language program on a variety of subjects. They have many different departments, uh, including a computer science department. 
And as a cross-disciplinary program, they offered uh, probably, I believe it was the world's first master's degree on the topic of uh, digital cryptocurrencies. So they call it the MSC in digital currencies. That program started about a month and a half ago officially. If you remember, the University of Nicosia was also the first university to accept Bitcoin payments for its tuition. But they're also teaching a master's degree in in cryptocurrencies. And as the precursor to the master's degree, we're doing a massively online open course, uh, also known as a MOOC. This is a course that's offered as a series of presentations together with interactive Q&A sessions uh, with the instructors and quizzes. This is an introductory course for digital cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, which uh, teaches you about Bitcoin. The purpose of the course is if you take the MOOC, you can then use that as credit towards the master's degree if you decide to continue. If you complete the course and the testing requirements, then you can use that as part of uh, your credit towards a master's degree. Or you can just take the MOOC just as an introductory course to Bitcoin and it's completely free and anyone can sign up. There's a wealth of material and it covers quite a broad set of topics. It's not just technical. There's some technical information, which is more computer science oriented. There's some information that has to do with economics and business and finance and law. So it's again, a cross discipline course. And I've been teaching, we've covered the first, I'm going to be doing the next sessions Q&A on Monday uh, for session six. And all of those are available online, both the materials as well as the recorded Q&A videos uh, and interactive sessions. I'll just set up a forward link for that. So you can go to letstalkbitcoin.com slash M-O-O-C MOOC to uh, get directly linked to that. Yeah, it's very exciting because, um, you know, as one of the first universities, obviously, to do this, they're forging ahead and, and creating a new academic discipline here. It has been obvious to me, at least from the very beginning of my involvement in Bitcoin, that this is a very important invention in computer science and it's a computer science primitive a a system for achieving consensus on a distributed system that has many many broad applications Uh, but it also has many important implications in economics and business and finance and law so um, i love the fact that this is cross-discipline course as well as that uh, it's being taken very seriously as an academic subject for computer science students who is a course like this for it's, it's very approachable, very accessible. Uh, it's not just for computer science students, although obviously there are going to be parts of the master's degree that are going to be uh, heavily focused on software development for cryptocurrencies and algorithms and using the consensus algorithm system. Um, but those are elective. So you can, the MOOC itself is introductory. It's very, very open and accessible to all. And it's, it allows people to uh, get a broad understanding over a period of 12 weeks and 12 sessions uh, of what cryptocurrencies are and how they affect these various areas. And it introduces all the various areas. Now, from that point, a student who is interested in a computer science discipline can take uh, a course heavily loaded on software engineering electives, whereas a student who's interested more, for example, in business and finance may take a may take the same master's degree heavily loaded with electives in business and finance. So the course is free. How long does it go? You said that there's another lecture on Monday. This probably isn't going to air for another two weeks or so. Well, the first six weeks have uh, already happened. So we're about halfway through the course right now, but all of the material exists uh, online. And uh, as soon as the first iteration of the MOOC is, is finished, I expect we're going to be running uh, another iteration with improvements and, and keep running that course. So people can sign up now 
and go back and catch up on the previous material by video and um, the sword material online, and then they can uh, continue following the course, or or they can sign up in the next iteration, or do a bit of both. So so it's a very flexible course. Like many of the MOOCs, it's designed for professionals who may may not have time to attend all of the sessions, or may not have time to do a classroom type environment. But in this format, uh, they can organize it around their schedule. That sounds awesome. Really cool that you're you're teaching that. So. Uh... The rumor going around is that Bitcoin is over and it's the fault of mining. And, uh, and we've destroyed ourselves. We've destroyed it all. You know, what, what fools we were. And it's been sort of interesting because <laughs> I guess I should back up a little bit. Um, there's been a lot of concern about 51% attacks as one of the larger pools, uh, ghash.io, um, has approached and surpassed the 50% mark. And so again, like that's sort of this magic number in the world of Bitcoin. Since it's a consensus based reality, if you can control the majority of the consensus, if you can control the majority of the participants, then you can control the consensus and basically do what you want is the perception. But I think that it's being a little bit overplayed in the way that I'm seeing people talk about it. And Andreas, I, you know, we've had this conversation in the past. I kind of want to chat with you about 51% attacks. Well, one second. Let me just pull out the wheelbarrow of uh, Bitcoin obituaries from my storage unit here and <laughs> add one more to the pile. This is the familiar cycle of sensationalism and Bitcoin is dead. Bitcoin is not dead. Uh, by the way, I think bitcoinisdead.com is still up there. Um, <laughs> maybe I can register the domain Bitcoin is under 51% attack.com and redirect it to is bitcoindead.com. And it will just say no. So is Bitcoin under 51% attack? Um, no. This is overblown. The possibility is there now. That's the thing, though, is that it's a possibility. The possibility of being hit by an asteroid is there, too. But there's a difference between possibility and probability. This is a possibility, but it is a very, very, very low probability. It is a highly improbable event, given the incentives, the structure, the possible benefits of doing this, and the very, very easy to apply countermeasures against such an eventuality. I think people grasp the 50% number and see it as an ominous warning, as a sign of the end of Bitcoin, which is ridiculous because there's a very, very big difference between, first of all, achieving 50% of the hashing power in one pool versus controlling 50% of the hashing power versus even more so that 50% of the hashing power being in the hands of dishonest miners who control it fully and then launching a 51% attack, which is um, the ultimate extreme. And what we've seen is the first of those. We've seen a pool briefly reach 50% of the hashing power, but that doesn't mean that they actually control all of that hashing power. It also doesn't mean that they're dishonest, and it certainly doesn't mean that they're launching a 51% attack. So yes, if there was a 51% attack, now listen, even if there had been a 51% attack against Bitcoin, I dispute the idea that that would have been the end of Bitcoin. I think it might have been a serious crisis in confidence. It might have affected the price in the short term. It may have led to changes in the code and countermeasures, and then Bitcoin would be back, even in the face of an actual 51% attack. And what we have here is nothing of the sort. What we have here is a pool briefly reaching 50% of the hashing power um, through a collection of the power mining power of many, many miners. 
Yeah, let's step back and start from there. Let's start from, okay, so ghash.io, you know, there are lots of different ways you mentioned here that we can kind of find ourselves in a situation where it's, we have this type of crisis. And it can be because it's a pool that has a large amount of uh, mining power in it because it makes sense for mining power to pool itself into the largest pool because it means that you flatten out the variance in terms of how much you're able to, to generate, how many Bitcoins you're able to generate since you're hitting more blocks but getting less of each one. So that is in itself a much less dangerous thing than if there was a single bad actor out there that had 50% of the hashing power in a warehouse full of ASICs. And, you know, had the intention of doing something malicious because with a pool, essentially, as soon as somebody realizes that something like this is going on, all of the people who aren't bad actors who are just in the pool because it's the most profitable place for them to be, you know, they essentially jump out. And in practice, I think that we've seen that a couple of times, but it's really interesting how we do hover around this like high 40% number. Well, as you said, because there are economic incentives that uh, encourage people to participate in pools that are successful. The success leads to some degree of centralization. But this is not centralization of control. This is centralization of the pool. That doesn't mean the pool has control over the destinies of these miners or over how that hashing power is used. They only have that briefly as long as they are supporting uh, the goals of those miners, which are economically viable uh, and the economic advantage of the pool. Uh, if they at any time took advantage of that to do something nefarious, it would immediately contravene the incentives of these miners and they would abandon the pool. Now, what we've seen is even the appearance of risk has led to miners leaving the pool. And as a result, today, if I'm looking at the stats correctly, GHash is at about 38%. But the point is that People are confused about what you can do if you launch an attack, and this has nothing to do with an attack. Yes, the issue of centralization of ASIC mining is a problem, but it's not a long-term problem. It's usually a short-term problem that occurs in cycles, and we've seen the cycle happen before, and it's usually resolved fairly quickly by market forces. Ghash was one of the first organizations to centralize by creating very large hashing farms of their own and, and offering those to shareholders and making it very easy essentially to to buy a share in a mining farm that was very very large and it's a one of the first successful professional mining farms and guess what when you are one of the first successful professional mining farms you get some advantages of being first to the game but it also attracts other entrants into the market and we're seeing a lot of other big players gearing up to replicate that model uh, which means that over time we're going to see other mining pools also also offer professional mining farms and easy to use pools that can achieve quite a bit of hashing power and again that will lead to another massive increase in the total hashing power of the network the bigger the hashing power of the network gets the the, the less possible it is to shift it with any single player and and you know even ghio even though the pool has that kind of percentage that's not all the farm that's the mining farm that ghio actually controls creating an economy of scale that attracts a lot of other miners who are then pointing their mining rigs to this pool and supporting it and taking it even further. If they all abandon GHashIO, you would see that they have a lot less of the total control of the power. And again, there's a very big difference between having the hashing power and actually using it for evil. And I'm not saying we should trust GHashIO, 
I'm saying we should watch very carefully. But even if there was a 51% attack, I don't think that would be the end of, of Bitcoin. And we're nowhere near that situation. Okay, so but let's assume for a second that we are, because a lot of people are concerned that we are near a 51% attack, because even though you're saying that it's incredibly unlikely, the reality is, is that it is technically possible now, while previously it wasn't. It was possible to try a 40% attack, which is, of course, much more difficult, but, you know, still plausibly you could do it using things like uh, selfish mining and some other techniques we've talked about in the past. But essentially, what could happen? What is a worst case scenario here if, uh, you know, if ghash.io actually does have the ability and they're like, we don't care about the repercussions. We don't care about the incentives. And their miners are like, we don't care about the incentives. We're not going to leave. Let's just assume for a second, 51%. What can happen? I'm sent, I send you some Bitcoin, Andreas. What happens to that? Does anything happen? So it's important to, to realize exactly what it can do and what it can't do, because I think that's part of the reason there's all of this panic is because people don't really understand the repercussions of a 51% attack. Let's look at the technical repercussions. First of all, a 51% attack doesn't give you the ability to spend other people's Bitcoin. A 51% attack doesn't give you the ability to redirect Bitcoin to another recipient. A 51% attack doesn't give you the ability to steal anyone's Bitcoin. A 51% attack allows the pool operator to rewrite recent history by essentially orphaning a number of blocks that are on the blockchain as recorded. And essentially what that means is that with enough hashing power, a pool operator or a large coalition of miners that have 51% attack could roll back time two or three blocks, maybe even four or five blocks, but then race against the rest of the hashing power to recalculate those four or five blocks, uh, creating an alternate chain, which then once they win that race by mining four or five blocks in a row and creating a longer chain, they end up reconverging the network around their new chain and orphaning the previous three or four blocks that the network thought were confirmed and are now orphaned. So they create a fork. So essentially three or four blocks that everybody thought were confirmed suddenly get orphaned and replaced by different blocks that extend the ancestor block, if you like, the one that's four blocks back, and extend it with a new chain with three or four new blocks on top. Now, the question is what transactions are in these new blocks? If it's exactly the same transactions, nothing changes. The risk here is that in orphaning the old blocks, they can introduce transactions that contradict transactions in the previous three blocks, but only if they own those. So if a 51% attack happens and during those six blocks where it is going on or, or that are going to be replaced and orphaned, as you've said, um, I do not do anything with my Bitcoin. This does not affect me in any way and it's impossible for it to affect me, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. Okay. If I make a transaction, if I send Bitcoin from me to you, the worst thing that can happen is it gets canceled, right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Because if it's canceled, then uh, they they don't they don't have my keys. They can't retarget it. No. But it just didn't actually happen because it was thrown out with those blocks. Okay. So- Which means that if in the meantime I shipped you a product because of the Bitcoin you sent me, and I assumed that after three or four blocks that was confirmed, and I shipped a product to you, I'm going to be out by a product that I sent you, and I'm going to be pretty pissed off. 
So it hurts basically anybody who, well, but again, if we're only talking about five or six blocks, you're talking about, again, assuming we get the crazy 40 minute Bitcoin blocks, it's a couple of hours. Most physical products aren't going to ship in that time. Well, keep in mind that in order for this to happen during this period of time, what you have is a very, very obvious long fork, right? So that three block forks don't happen. They simply don't happen. So if suddenly you saw a pool starting to recalculate three blocks back, that would have alarm bells ringing everywhere. And if that created a fork with a race then between 50% of the pool power uh, trying to extend that chain while the other, the 48% or whatever, is trying to extend the old chain. During that divergence of three blocks, alarm bells are going to be ringing everywhere. Now, last time there was a three or four block divergence, which was in April of 2013 due to a bug in the code of uh, 0.7 version of Bitcoin. I think it was around the three or four block level where the emergency broadcast system was activated and merchants were told to stop accepting transactions. So that's the level of notice that creates. In fact, there's a parameter in the Bitcoin Core client that will notify you if the if it sees a chain divergence by more than uh, a certain number of blocks. So you can set it, for example, to send you email if there's more than uh, two or three block divergence. More likely, uh, a 51% attack would instead try to orphan a single block and then just do it much more often than normal and try to play shenanigans during a single block rather than try to do a massive three or four block chain. But again, how many merchants ship with one block confirmation and and don't notice that that has been orphaned? Uh, how many How many merchants actually ship within 10 minutes or even within an hour? Well, it's interesting because even with digital items, you know, uh, I know more merchants that do dis- distribution of digital items based on zero confirmations than based on one. I mean, if you're going to wait for confirmations, people actually tend to wait for a couple of confirmations. But for digital items, because there's no per per item cost or per piece cost, um, a lot of times it's just easier just to say, OK, well, I see the money is coming in. So, again, like it, it seems like the attack vectors for this are pretty limited. So, well, no, the, the main attack vector for, for this is, is to do a withdrawal of Bitcoin from an exchange and then invalidate that withdrawal. OK, and so that's specifically, again, you're not talking about like some random person. You're talking about like the pool owner, the person who's targeting what the pool is doing, they're the only person that can actually pull something like that off. If you're a miner, even if you're 20% of it, because you're getting work from the pool, the pool's actually what's controlling it, right? Right. They would, they would basically have to send the, the, the way the pool works is they will send a, a block template, as it's called, which is a start building on top of this block. And um, here's, here's the uh, Coinbase you should use for it. And here's the payout address for the pool. And then each miner will put their own transactions in based on what they've seen. So it's Essentially, the pool operator can roll back that and instead of building off on top of the latest block, build one block behind, uh, forcing one of the existing blocks that's been accepted broadly by consensus to be orphaned when it was unnecessary. So I believe that certainly in the case of digital items, uh, that might be a concern. So if Ghash uh, wants to use double spend transactions to buy Justin Bieber singles, that might be a strong motivation for a 51% attack. Uh, barring that, there aren't too many things that you can do with it. So, Well, there are. There's one more scenario. Let's talk about the other scenario. The other scenario is to use this to do a denial of service attack, which means that you purposely invalidate blocks mined by 
other pools, essentially shutting other pools out of the market. So that's a kind of hostile takeover, aggressive action against the other pools, making the other pools unable to mine blocks because anytime Basically, what that would mean is anytime, uh, say, one of these pool operators sees another pool successfully mining a block, right, with a minority power, purposefully retarget the mining to the previous block in order to orphan it, thereby essentially getting 100% of all of the blocks mined by that one pool. Okay, so this seems, again, like that, that attack vector is specifically against other mining pools. So it seems like there are two primary things that can be done with a successful, malicious 51% attack. One is you go to an exchange and you try and essentially it's it's actually kind of similar to the transaction malleability, it's right? I mean, like spend. in the yeah, waiter. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so you so you're able to double spend using this, and then the other side would be and, and the other side would be a denial of service attack against a pool, or a denial of service attack against a specific recipient of transactions. For example, you could you could you could say anytime I see a transaction going to a specific party. Uh, I'm going to orphan the blocks that that transaction is in in order to invalidate it. So to to hurt a specific recipient by making making it impossible for them to receive any Bitcoin because every time they try to receive Bitcoin, the block that that transaction is in gets orphaned. But again, it's very difficult to do this in a subtle way. First, because everybody's watching and watching very carefully, especially as pools get closer to 51%, their activity is scrutinized very carefully. And secondly, because if you if you try to do some cartel action like this, there are some aggrieved parties who would be obviously affected and very loud um, and would complain. This is not something that you can do on a subtle basis. And as soon as that happened, then we would see countermeasures implemented in the network. And we've actually um, had that conversation with Gavin Andreessen before. I think that, you know, there was a comment from maybe six months back. I can't remember the context, what it was in, but it was something like this. It's that, you know, if any pool tries to pull off something like this, we're going to basically change the rules so that you can't do it anymore. And at the time we were like, well, that's sort of a weird thing to say, but I guess it could probably, I mean, it seems like, you know, that that's always a possibility since this stuff is so transparent. If this really is serious enough to take down Bitcoin, then the incentive isn't just for the people who are doing the attack, but the incentive is huge for people who aren't doing the attack to find some way to stop it. And so again, like it's interesting because every time we get close to one of these, these pressure points or these magic numbers, the community freaks out. And it's great because this is exactly why things get fixed because people notice and are upset about it. And it's exactly why things don't get fixed in the real world. Here's the thing. I mean, th- there's a big difference between I'm not worried about the possibility of a 51% attack because I think it's highly unlikely. It goes against the incentives of miners, especially the ones who currently are coming close to having that kind of hashing power. It makes no sense. It delivers very little advantage for a very short period of time to a player who who is immediately noticed and will attract countermeasures and the scorn of the community. So I'm not worried. That doesn't mean I think that concentration of mining hashing power in a single player or under the control of a single pool is a good thing or that miners shouldn't leave uh, Ghash and go, for example, and the best answer is go to P2 pool. Uh, the peer-to-peer pool that doesn't have an operator that's purely peer-to-peer. Um, I think that is a good answer. I think that miners should purposefully dilute the hashing power of the leading pool at all times in order to keep it 
in its place, if you like, to, to keep it from amassing too much hashing power, that even if it's not immediately used in an attack, uh, creates a possibility for shenanigans and certainly creates a reputation risk and it makes people worried. So for all of those reasons, it's in the incentive and interest of the miners to move to a pool that has less of the hashing power and to equalize things. But that, but that's a very, very different statement from I'm worried that the 51% attack is imminent, likely, or even probable. I think it's highly improbable, complete waste of time. Even if it was done only for malicious purposes by a malicious actor, there are probably easier ways to do that. And again, it would fail. It would lead to changes in the protocol. Bitcoin would become more robust. As a result, Bitcoin would bounce back once this problem was fixed, if it needed fixing. And we would put one more obituary on the pile to ignore and laugh at later. I really don't think this is what is going to damage Bitcoin. I, I could be wrong. I could be entirely wrong. Uh, maybe I've missed something really important uh, and and you know it's just my personal opinion but honestly i'm not worried I, I i think it's a highly theoretical attack it's very interesting to look at the game theory implications and to try to make the network more robust it's interesting to look at the market dynamics behind this and i think as before we're going to see the market cycle repeat and the leading pool won't be the leading pool for very long and that's fine so we tried to get um, Peter Todd on uh, for today's show to have a conversation about this because, I mean, among other things, I think the thing that I hope people take away from this is that the way that Bitcoin is set up right now, where we pay a single block reward to a single individual, which has led to all of these pools, I mean, we don't see in practice people you know, having these gigantic farms with the intention of taking over by themselves the Bitcoin network. But we do see it possible because of the way the pools have been set up. And Peter Pool is a solution, but it's a less efficient solution for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that you need to run your own node. So, uh, which is to say, have a full copy of, of the Bitcoin blockchain, whereas with a pool, you simply don't. And so it's, there's, there's more to do there than if you were taking the easy way. So what I'd really hope we could see come from this is some more attention be paid to uh, tree chains. Because tree chains, again, that's the first protocol suggestion I've seen that really looks like it could bring solo mining back in without fundamentally reinventing the wheel or asking people to buy new hardware. So, I mean, like, that's the thing that I hope is that we can we can use this as an opportunity to real, really think about what the incentives are pushing people to do and hopefully maybe try to change the protocol so the incentives are a little bit better. I think it's important to realize that tree chains are not the only way to, to solve that. There are many other recommendations that can make things. Ghost protocol, for example, is another approach. So there are proposals that involve uh, splitting the reward so that the, the winning block gets a, a high percentage of the reward, but any orphaned blocks uh, that are correct, that have actually achieved the proof of work algorithm, but uh, for whatever reason didn't propagate as fast also get a percentage of the reward. That's called the ghost protocol. That model very, very simply realigns the incentives in such a way that it is worth mining orphan blocks because you get some reward, which actually ends up then smoothing out the variance in reward and uh, lessening the need for, for pools. There, there are really two forces in action here. One is the centralization caused by 
the density of ASICs and the development, rapid development of ASIC technology. And that leads to some centralization in mining, which is not necessarily a bad thing because the alternative is, as we've said before, is botnet mining. So, so you have to strike a balance between those two extremes. Just this week, we saw, for example, there's an article in Ars Technica uh, that talks about a hacker who used the firmware inside network attached storage devices to run script miners and compromise thousands and thousands of storage devices running in corporate offices, use them to mine Dogecoin and made about uh, $600,000 worth of Dogecoin in, in just a few days of mining. That's the risk of going to CPU friendly mining, which is that the amount of CPU lying around in machines that are easy to compromise in people's desktops, in grandpa and grandma's desktop, in attached and embedded devices like routers and storage systems, etc., is immense. So not only can you have botnet mining, but you can also have rent a 51% attack where you could rent a massive botnet and use it to gain a significant percentage of the total mining of the system. Those are the risks against ASIC centralization. So you have to look at this as a compromise. ASICs actually do provide some benefits. And then the second thing you have is centralization because of the pool dynamic or the pool economic incentives, which is that if you mine alone, you're playing a lottery where you win rarely and you lose a lot and you have to be in it for the long game. And that's a very difficult way to amortize the cost or uh, the investment you have in, in hardware, in ASIC hardware. So you're taking a very, very big risk if you're playing that kind of lottery game. Whereas if you mine as part of a pool and the bigger the pool, the better, then you're going to receive a smaller reward every time, but it's going to be more consistent over time. So you can pay back your hardware investment. So that leads to centralization of pools. And again, these two issues have two different sets of solutions. But at the moment, I, I don't see the huge panic to start making changes to the protocol. I think it's important to realize that a lot of the alternative proof of work schemes that are being proposed and the alternative protocols that are being proposed are fundamentally untested. Whereas Bitcoin's proof of work has persisted for five years, has been extremely successful at resisting attacks. And while we're talking about these theoretical it continues to remain the most robust consensus algorithm, the most highly scaled consensus algorithm by several orders of magnitude, and the best proof of concept we've ever seen in this environment. And all of the other contenders are great in theory, but none of them has been tested at this scale, so we don't know how well they're going to work. Today's episode, in addition to our LTBC sponsors, is brought to you by CryptoKit. CryptoKit is a web wallet that installs right into your Chrome browser, so it's always there right when you need it. It also has a built-in encrypted email client using PGP, lets you control your private keys as a brain wallet, and just generally is free and awesome. Check it out over at CryptoKit.com. Today's top LTB coin sponsor, with a high bid of 10,000 LTB coin, is CoinFire.cf. CoinFire.cf is a newer crypto coin news and commentary site. Quoting from their page, CoinFire was started because I got sick and tired of reading reviews on sites that were full of advertisements, dishonest statements, and news that was just posted to create link bait. End quote. This is a very familiar urge for me, folks, and I wish Mike all the best over there. Taking a look at the front page, actually, I was surprised to find an article about a 24-hour Bitcoin radio station that will be launching soon and of which I was completely unaware of. Now I just need to get CoinFire to move their site onto the LTB platform. <laughs> just kidding. Or am I? No, I'm not. 
Our second sponsor for episode 125 is actually a donation sponsor. Brian Cohen of bitofthis.com asked us to highlight the Bitcoin Foundation, so let's take a little time to chat. The mission of the Bitcoin Foundation is threefold. Standardize Bitcoin, protect Bitcoin, and promote Bitcoin. This means that, in practice, they put on occasional conferences, occasionally interface with government bodies who misunderstand what they can or can't do with Bitcoin, and basically act as the public-facing voice for those looking for answers from an institution they would recognize as being legitimate. Say, for example, if you trust a foundation more than you trust the internet. That's not to say the foundation performs a function that couldn't or isn't being performed elsewhere, but they are doing meaningful work. Recently, they announced their sixth international chapter, put on their recent Amsterdam conference, where Let's Talk Bitcoin was pleased to win the most informative podcast award. I'm not actually sure if we've mentioned that on the show. And there's a lot more, too, I don't have time to get into here. If you'd like to support their work, the cost of becoming a member is $25 payable in, of course, Bitcoin. If you'd like to learn more, visit them at bitcoinfoundation.org. And if you'd like to use your LTB coin to sponsor the Let's Talk Bitcoin show and have me spend a little time explaining your project on an upcoming episode, head over to letstalkbitcoin.com and select Sponsor from the LTB coin rewards program menu. Once a project wins this, it gives me an excuse to learn about the project and share my thoughts on it with you. So on the other hand, you have no editorial control whatsoever, but then again, it's not really an advertisement because of that, so it's almost certainly more useful to our listeners. And if your project is actually neat, I'm going to say nice things about it. Either way, there's no work to you for doing it, unlike a standard advertisement spot where you have to give me a script. Anything I don't want to talk about will be refunded. Basically, that's just gambling, adult content, and anything that smells like a scam to me. Don't ask me to talk about penny auctions. So we're done. Thanks for paying attention during the part of the show that pays the bills. And now, the Mad Bitcoins interview with Zhao Tonged. Good morning, Bitcoins. This is Mad Bitcoins live with Zhao Tonged. Yes. How are you guys doing? You're doing good, man. Enjoyed good, your concert good. yesterday. Thank you, you guys. Uh, you know, you let in for Whitey Cracker, and uh, I don't know if he was ready for it, man. He got out there and he was like, "Whoa, I'm following Zhao Tong. What has happened?" He did mention how much he enjoyed it. Wasn't expecting the big show, I guess, or performance. I, I think a lot of it was you guys used uh, your videos as part of your act, and that brought it to a whole other level. That the synchronization with the yeah. videos. Yeah, we like it. To do that, if you've noticed, or if you're a big Zaltong fan or seen any of our videos, we always put the words in our videos so that you can understand exactly what we're saying because we're consciously trying to speak a message or on every song. If you timeline our songs and when we wrote them and when we published the song out on YouTube, it's relevant to some kind of issue that was going on in that time when Bitcoin shot up to 266 last year or when it shot up to... Actually, when it shot up to 24 and hit the 20s, you know, I, we were in it from two, three dollars. So yeah, it hit yeah, the yeah. 20s. We were like, oh my goodness, this is it, you know. It's hard not to um, off that. So yeah, we pumped like Bitcoin's back came from that one, which is the Eminem parody that we did this past year around February when the whole Gox controversy happened. We uh, made the Gox, the Snoop Dogg and yeah, parody. Chris and I were just we were just talking about the Mount Gox video, and what we said is. Um, it's gotten a lot more poignant since Mt. Gox went down. Like at first, it was just you got Gox. We had some DOS troubles, or that the price drops, those flash crashes, that kind of thing. But now it's like Goxed is a whole new meaning with the collapse. Oh yeah, the whole meaning. And I mean, as as terrible as it sounds, it's something honestly with Gox and all the craziness. From if you're an old timer Bitcoiner, and the issues with Mt. Gox, um, it was something that honestly needed to happen anyway. The fact that we've survived through it with them crashing and all the 
craziness that happened with it. And you know, I lost. Zhao Tong lost money with that situation. Dude, don't oh. think we're not we're immune to any of the effects of, of things that happen in the market. Uh, we were Zhao Tong originally. Originally, that's how we got the name with Bitcoinica in the very beginning, with one of the earlier trading uh, margin trading sites. That's how it all came to be when we started anyway. So we feel the effects too. Don't think that we're sitting on our high horse at all. We definitely and that, that tragedy was a slow motion one. I mean, I know a lot of people had money in there. They tried to get it out six months before. They tried to get it out nine months before. They could not get their money out of there, even though they knew it was going down in slow motion. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, um, I think now, just my own personal opinion, that it's something that probably gawks itself. If you notice how much smoother the market's been, even oh, though it's not where we want it to be, no twenty dollars. The, yeah, the, the yeah. volatility has calmed down a bit, and if if Bitcoin was to crash or if it was to go down, that would have been the time that it would have happened. Yeah. And the fact that we've overcome it and we're still standing and we're here now and all about it, and more and more companies are joining in, big names are joining in. It just helps me know that I'm in the right place, that our community will strive through this and get through it. We are. Well, and remember what they used to say on their website, 60%, I think, of all uh, Bitcoin traffic, maybe even 70, was through Mt. Gox. Yeah. Now it's gone, and yet Bitcoin's still here. Right? Right. We're still here. And we're still at you know $600 a coin currently right now. You, know, you have to remember that last year in January, we were at $30 a coin. So the fact that we're still at $600 a coin, we are still going to strive, even though, you know, you have the speculators that saw it go to 1200 and now we're at yeah. six. Oh, Bitcoin. They don't know. They don't know. And it's okay. We want them to watch. We want them to speculate on it. And I'll make the money from it. So... <laughs> I just... The whole Mt. Gox thing never made any sense to me. I remember when I first learned that it was Magic the Gathering online exchange, I, I pretty much made fun of that mercilessly in my show, as much as I could. And just, I had a bad feeling about it the whole time. I remember the first time I logged in, it was this really weak PHP application. Right. It just kind of felt like cheap. I was like, this is the best trading site we've got. I, I yeah, they, I mean, they were never really, uh, they didn't really have the platform for that. And that kind of volume when we did start to gain some traction and gain some tra uh, traffic. Um, and so it, it was it was bound to happen. Again, us old timer, I apologize if we didn't school you early on to the later in you know comers coming into the game about Mount Gox. Um, some things you got to learn, but it's to the old timers. We knew it needed to happen. Um, and it was better that it happened, and I'm glad that they're gone. I mean, that I knew. The fact that Bitcoin has any value, period, shows that you know we're still standing and we're still strong. And, um, and look what they were doing technically to the community. They're, they confused that whole transaction malleability issue. We still don't really know what went on. Mark Carpellis, the missing Bitcoins. The experts on the outside have said, it's not transaction malleability. You did something else wrong, but we don't know yet. We're going to find out. It's a black box. No industry is immune to controversy and to people being shady. The fact that we caught it early on, again, going back to Bitcoinica, one of the first margin trading sites to trade, you know, we, we took a big hit. Zatong took a huge hit on that one. But we survived. We're still here.
there's been all different kinds of controversy with Bitcoin and different governments banning it, then taking it back, then mm -hmm. taking back what they said, or now implementing and wanting peace, and like the ins and outs and all of that. The fact that we're still here just shows that the technology speaks for itself. It will never go anywhere. If Bitcoin is $3 or $3,000, people will still be using it. Um, it's just going to take time for anyone to really learn it. We maybe need to be a little, can figure out ways, programmers can figure out better ways along the line to make it a little more user friendly. But I mean, I don't know. At the same time, people should be learning. You should want to learn and you should, I mean, everything is computers now. Everything is new technology building from it. If you're not on it, if you're not schooling yourself, if you're not teaching yourself on new technologies, and I don't know what Teach your family and friends too. This, I mean, I know I'm tired of removing spyware. I'm tired of setting up people's computers. But Bitcoin is a whole new thing. I'm excited to set up people's wallets, to give them a dollar, to show them how Coinbase works, whichever site you want to use. It's exciting. It's the future, and it is individual adoption. We need to get our mothers into this, our sisters and our brothers. We need to get them shopping online with this, just trying it out, having fun with it. You know, it doesn't have to be a large investment. You know, hundred bucks there. Just try it out. Yeah. Try it out. No, absolutely. Um, I did that. I've been a Bitcoin evangelist, so to speak, Bitcoin evangelist yeah, yeah. the past couple of years. This last year, I've lightened up a little bit. I got, I think, I got a little burnt out just on my own personally. I felt like I told everybody who I needed to tell about it. Yeah. First person that told me about it and schooled me on it told me, you know, this is like Google. Yeah. Ten years before it came out. Absolutely. You know, and it's just gonna take time for for it to implement. And the person that told me that this technology is amazing and will do amazing things is probably, in my network, one of the smartest people I know. And a uh, computer scientist, computer engineer, dissected the protocol, looked at the ledger, and saw that this was really going to be something. So, you know, it's like that wise man telling you something, you know, telling you that, you know, hey, buddy, Try to you know, get into this. Time to know. try this out. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we've been in it right around after it switched from mining with your CPU to mining with graphic cards. I remember my buddy calling me, telling me, bro, I need graphics cards. Would you <laughs> please send me, send me that? And was building his own units himself yeah, to try yeah. to mine for these coins. And like, again, this is when we were at a few dollars a coin. It was, everybody was. You're trying to scream, but nobody really listens anyway. They they do, but for the most part, until they see it for themselves, people are are seers yeah. before they believe than believing and then seeing. Um, so, but that's okay. And then they saw it. And then when we peaked at 266, all of a sudden these people who didn't want to listen to us start calling. All of a sudden we're getting the calls. Well, I'll I'll tell you, I'm I'm one of those people. I knew about Bitcoin from the beginning. I didn't buy it. I thought about it a bunch of times. I I didn't read enough about it. And then when it finally broke through, I really missed the boat. And then I just tried to get into it as hardcore as I could, doing the show, talking about it as much as I could, telling everybody I know, just whatever I could do. But you guys started out in mining and investing. How did you get into Bitcoin and music? Started with mining. And then I mean, a lot of people seem to buy the mining cards instead of just buying the Bitcoin. And we all seem to regret this. Even we bought you know, a few miners in the last year or so. And we should have bought the Bitcoin, so I don't know. How is that? Yeah, uh, oh, well, if you were buying miners last year, it was kind of too late to buy yeah. miners, honestly. We were lucky to take advantage of the first uh, first couple of batches of the ASIC miners that came out. Nice. But, I mean, even those miners now today, they're really just paying for the electricity right now. Yep. 
But yeah, we did try to take advantage of it. So in the beginning, yeah, to get back to what you were asking, we started mining, and along with mining, learned my buddy is a trainer. Dao Tong is. There's two of us, pretty much two of us. I'm the artist and the writer and the musician. My buddy does videos, and he's the brains behind Bitcoin itself. He's the one that pretty much schooled me. He's nice, my, uh, nice. yeah, he's my splinter to you Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle lovers. He's my uh, Mr. Miyagi to you Karate Kid lovers. And like I said, smartest guy I know. So started learning how to trade or learning to trade the skill of just trading itself with him back with Mt. Gox and back with Bitcoinica. And if anybody knows about trading, you're watching the markets 24-7. Back then, the volatility was crazy, even in these small numbers. So you're constantly watching the markets all day, all night. I've got two monitors up. I'm looking at and <laughs> these different graphs. Yeah, I'm watching the trends. I'm trying yeah. to loosen up the time. We were always, we're all musicians as well. I'm a music composition major. We were just watching the graphs. It started with just really just the two of us just hanging around goofballs, yeah. um, listening to music around the time when being Zhao Tong got coined as an actual term. We started using it a lot. I don't know if we coined the term or who actually coined the term, but we know I know that we took it on early on when we were part of that pool or network of people that was using the term. So that we have rights or had rights to take it on and do something sure. with it. And how it started was I, we didn't take on the name of Zhao Tong. We just put out two songs. Mm -hmm. And the first song was about being Zhao Tong. And it was about not having enough money to back up on your price um, that you bought in at and yeah. getting liquidated oh. and how that happens if you just got Zhao Tong. We were singing about what was happening to you. Yeah, no, we were singing exactly what happened to us because, again, we're goofballs and just computer geeks and musician geeks. So with that, I started just playing around. I took a reggae song from Sister Nancy, Bob Bomb Bomb, and I took it and turned it into You Got Zhao Tong. Yeah. I took Lauren Hill, Lost Ones. She's got a song called Lost Ones, and I turned it into Lost Funds, <laughs> where you lost your funds by getting Zhao Tong. And the community loved it. We, yeah. It didn't... We, I didn't know it was going to turn into all of this. We just put now. some songs out, and the community loved it and wanted us to do more. So every couple of months, we would put another one out here right. and there. Right. And anything relevant, again, some people will tell you if you follow certain things online or follow Reddit. Some people will tell you if you want to know about Bitcoin, just listen to Zhao Tong songs from the beginning to end on the timeline of when we started <laughs> the first songs to the very last song that we put out. And it will kind of school you in a fun way. On Bitcoin. I, I think I've done that. I pretty much went back and watched the songs in order. And definitely by the time you get to hold for the longest time, your ideas have changed. You're not yeah. talking about trading, you're talking about holding. Right. That was the other thing. It changed from definitely the trading was in the beginning. And then again, so we lost. We got Zhao Tong quite a few times, totally. The next time when I had a chance to invest, I wanted to just hold. Yeah. I just wanted to hold on to them. I knew, again, I, I didn't want to lose this. I knew the technology was going to be there, so I didn't give up when I got Zhao Tong. Don't give up yeah. on this technology because this technology is going to be—it's going to be unstoppable in the next five years. You just have to be patient. I'm learning patience myself, yeah. but I knew that I didn't want to lose on the technology, and I didn't want to miss out if it did skyrocket. Mm -hmm. So the minute I had a chance to jump in again, I jumped back in again. But yes, my views were a little different, and off of when we were just doing the trading songs, 
we now had a little fan base. Yeah. So we wanted to speak. We wanted to expand off of that. We wanted to really have some fun with it. That's well, and done. you're helping to grow the Bitcoin through the music. A lot of people that aren't into it might hear the song and then check it out. It's a new way to spread the word. Absolutely. I definitely think that music is the best way to pass a message on. Um, and I enjoy doing it. Uh, and the community has accepted us and has loved us. And it just makes you want to do more anyway. I want to keep putting more music out. Um, we wanting to do. I'm wanting to put together. I've spoken to a couple of people in the community wanting to put together a Bitcoin music festival, possibly even if it's annually. If we can do a two a year would be cool. But even if we had one a year and try to in the next six months try to get that first annual or the first festival out for the year, um, I think that would be really cool. Um, It'd be a maybe you know same kind of thing like the conventions where you get some vendors, you get some people selling. Bitcoin, and then you have the music that keeps the energy up and, and going. I mean, we've already, you know, we've got a few musicians already in yeah, the uh, in yeah. the industry. Yeah, but Tatiana, myself, you have Whitey Cracker who performed with me last night. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Whitey Cracker. He's amazing. His show is great. Um, I'm really glad that I got a chance to to hear him live. Uh, he he definitely. I was a fan before, but never really listened. And being here and getting to listen to him, I got to listen to him, and he's a really smart dude, really well, cool and, guy. And you guys also influenced him because he put his words up on the screen after you guys did the, <laughs> the words on the screen. And I, I mean, I, from the songs where he didn't have the words, I was way more into the word songs. I was reading it, I was seeing little, little Arrested Development references. I love right. that show, uh, Snowcraft references. Right. All of his references are so good, and they they're so transparent when you're. He's so fast with his words. It's right. hard to really track the words if you don't have them in front of you, if you're not familiar with the song. Absolutely. Like MC Chris or any of those people. Yeah, that no, I think definitely. Um, that was the one of the things that, that we wanted to do. Like, I grew up in the 90s, so I'm a big hip-hop head. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about influences. Are you into like, Weird Al, other parody songs? Oh, I grew or? up on Weird Al. Yeah. Like, this, I, I mean, I didn't think, again, I didn't think I was going to be a parody writer no. writing parodies, but... Yeah, when I was a kid, Weird Al was my oh, tell, Smells oh, Like Teen Spirit. That yeah. album was like one of my favorite um, of his album. But influences, I was born in these, but I'm a night. I grew up in the '90s, yeah. so of course, I mean, some of my older hip hop influence is Rock uh, Run DMC, uh, the Heavy D and the Boys, Beastie Boys. Yeah. Then in the '90s, you had your Wu Tang Clan, Notorious Big, Quale. Most deaf. You had a lot of conscious rappers. Yeah. Um, and so speaking on the videos and like our, because we're more hip hop. If you're not hip hop, it's cool. If you're not hip hop, if you're not a hip hop head, you don't have the ear to be able to catch the line so much. Yeah. So it was a real point that I wanted to make in being able to allow people to really see what we're saying. Mm -hmm. So. We didn't even know that we were going to be performing these songs. We yeah. just started videos. We were just doing sure. fun videos. And that was the one thing that I wanted to make sure that I did is put the words. So I think that was really cool. And that's what made me a big fan of Whitey last night because I got to see what he was saying more as well. Yeah. I hear, being a hip-hop fan, I hear what he was saying sure. listening to it before. Well, and even in the Scott Ox song, there's a great... I wrote that Malcolm Ox thing was happening. Literally, I just happened to be hearing the song, the Snoop, the regular original. Yeah, yeah. It just came to me. I wrote the song in, in a few hours, and I was already recording it by that night. And I called my buddy, and I was like, uh, I think this is the next video to put out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we put it out. We put it out right around February. 
And yeah, it was a little crazy again to the newcomers. I know it's a struggle, or you know, with the whole thing with Gox, a lot of people lost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I felt, as an old timer, <laughs> kind of being in the game for a while, yeah, yeah. I felt uh, I felt bad. Like maybe I, it was my job in a sense to school I, people. I'm not. I'm not even that old into it. And I even feel a little bad. Like I mean, I I made fun of it. I think as much as I could have, but I never probably said like 100. You shouldn't be in this thing. And yeah. it's hard to know. You can't tell the future. And that's what a lot of this is about, about the losses and things. A lot of people here have had losses. I've heard this from Bitcoin loans, losses from investing in companies by selling your Bitcoin to Earth. Everybody's gone up and down. This that is about learning and about getting older. Just Bitcoin makes you learn so fast. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've already lost a couple of minor fortunes, and it's been a year. Yeah, not. Yeah, you know, no, you. I, no, people have lost. And and my thing would be when it comes to investing, smart investors you don't invest all in, in one thing. And my advice is believe in the technology and believe in the coin. If you believe in a company and you want to invest, that's fine. But at the end of the day, believe in the coin. And my advice now, simple, hit you in the head anymore with buy big, buy big. What I tell anybody now is just buy one. Get yourself one Bitcoin yeah. and forget about it. Don't even think about it. And I almost promise you in five years, you will thank Zhao Tong <laughs> for telling you to buy that one Bitcoin if you saved it for one Bitcoin. Definitely get in it, get involved. You don't invest all of your money in anything. And know also that when you're investing and when you're trading, you're gambling in a sense. When you're trading, you're gambling. It's, yeah. it's stockbroker gambling. You're going to have some gains and you're going to have some losses, but expect losses and hope for gains. Believe me, we lost. I can't tell you, and I'm a poker player too, and I, you know, I'm telling you, we've lost. But I believe in the coin, in the technology. I'm not going to let it get to me, although it's got, I'm sure some people put a lot of money into it and put it, again, they put their money into God. Again, something that made me feel bad, not being the one to spread the message on cold storage, putting it's, it on your it, own it's wallet. It's hard to wrap paper wallet. Nobody's even ever, ever rapped about money, period. Like, we're rapping about a particular money. And, again, I like to say a technology. I don't, I don't like to say that it's just money because it's not just money. It's just a technology that I think is going to do some It's the blockchain. Thing. The blockchain is huge. Yeah, it is. Oh, so we have an album to be releasing August 8th. We're looking at August 8th as being the uh, the album release at EVR, Charlie Shrem's Bar in New York. It's looking around at being that date, and I'm happy about that. Looking to sell a collector's edition kit along with that. So we're selling CDs. We'll have a collector's edition kit as well, where in this entire kit you'll get a T-shirt, you'll get a mask, you'll get a medallion, you'll get the CD sign. Um, you'll get a USB drive with all of our media because we've been written about Attic, Yahoo Finance, Quartz, Reuters has written about us, Urban Dictionary. All you have to do is look up Zhao Tong, and you have our one of our first songs on the Zhao Tong Dictionary. Uh, you know, they're talking about us. We we're in the Urban Dictionary. You'll get all of our videos on it. We're looking to do that. Keep an ear out for that. And, and, and that, that definitely is the wave of the future—a collector's edition type package, something for the fans. Uh, the music's kind of available, but that kind of a package you're going to want to pay for. You're going to want to keep it yes. like like your one Bitcoin. You're going to want to keep your Zaltong Collector's Edition package. Maybe a nice shelf. For it. Maybe buy two. You buy two. You open one up, have some fun, fun, and you keep one sealed. But yeah, that's what we have in store, and all types of music. 
there's a Wilson Phillips song that you're going to hear on the CD that oh, okay. I'm sure you haven't I, even heard I, that, that name. No, so I, I like Wilson Phillips. I have an <laughs> album, but there's a lot of catchy tunes on yeah, there. Yeah, you're going to hear some reach, Wilson so. Phillips. You're going to hear some... Yeah, you're going to hear some joints. And I never expected you to mention Wilson Phillips. People are going to for some of that album. I am a Wilson Phillips fan, so we're together. Also, they're going to talk about you. They're going to talk about me too. Then that bitcoins, all types of music, anything that comes to mind. I just realized what song you're going to do. Is it "Hold On for One More Day"? <laughs> That's another, a, uh, do you guys have a website? Anything there? The website currently right now www.zaotong.me is the website. We're not selling merchandise as of yet. When August hits, the website will be up and running with all of that, being able to buy the merchandise, everything. We like to push only accepting Bitcoin for the fun of it, to encourage people or force people to use Bitcoin to purchase our items or just get them more involved. It makes it exclusive. You can only get it in Bitcoin. We like to do that. We like to do that. So we're looking to do that. Try to do some more promoting. We want to perform. I want to, in the next six months, I want to book some more shows. So if you're listening, anybody wants to... Uh, Bitcoin Chicago, get on it. These conventions, yeah. you need the spice. You need the music, something interesting, exciting for the kids, you know, whatever, something. Yeah, uh, actually, Charlie Shrem asked me about Chicago. I told him I would be willing to do it. So anybody on that committee over there work at convention, I'd love to do a set over there. Could definitely do that. Last couple of years, we've kind of been a little more mysterious and have not really shown face so much. That's something that we want to change a little bit this year, taking Dao Tong to the next level. We want, to, we want to be with the fans. I want to be with Bitcoiners. I want, I want to be involved. I want, to be in, I want you guys to see me in more of these events. I want to do some more shows. Anything that I can do to help promote, because like we said before, music is an easy way to send a message out. So for any event, even if it's a small event, I'm willing and open to do anything in the Bitcoin community that they that they would like me to do or need me to do to help out. I'm all for it. Have you ever thought about playing Bitcoin meetups? Maybe something like that. It's kind of small time, but yeah, absolutely. I'm working on something now, booking a show at the New York City Bitcoin Center where they trade. Sure. I'm supposed to be speaking. Uh, then we'll have the album release party at EBR, and the next couple of months just plug in some more shows. If we can get this festival going before the weather gets bad. That would be amazing. Again, anybody interested in putting something like that together, we're going to be doing that as well. Uh, Zaotong.me, again, is the website. Follow us on Twitter at Zaotong, straight, one word. Definitely shout us out. I love this community. I love Bitcoin. I love everything about it. I think this is our chance and our generation. I like to feel that most of us Bitcoiners are the younger professionals Late 20s, early 30s, late 30s, kind of our generation. This is our chance to really make a difference in our world in general. If you're looking for a cause, this is your cause. And it's a positive cause. A lot of the previous causes I were in were negative causes, reactionary causes. This is positive. There's tons of space for everybody. You can branch out, do what you want to do, music programming. I make web shows. Whatever you want to do, writing, get involved in the Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. Get involved. It's not going anywhere, so know that. And if you heard from anybody, hear from me. Don't be scared about these prices, even if you're seeing, honestly, where we are now and where it's going. Anything under $1,000 is a good price for Bitcoin. We're at some cheap prices right now. Um, Take advantage. Get yourself one and study. Look it up. 
learn how to transfer it and send it from one wallet to another, learn the technology. When computers first came out, now you, you know, in the 90s and, and the internet, nobody really knew too much about it. Only the ones that did took advantage yeah. where they are now, doing well, sitting pretty pretty, I'm pretty sure anybody with any of these early investings. With Bitcoin it is as well. That's it. I love music and I love Bitcoin. And I love that I was able to put the two together and we're having some fun with it. It keeps it fun. It keeps the community lighter. I guess yeah. a, a, a lighter feel. You know, Not so much I think science I and math. You know, yeah, because it is. It is very technical. I just feel like it's a way for us to outlet and help you guys release a little stress because you know, we went through it too and now we have songs about it. So you lost money in Mount Gox, play the song, man. It might help you put a little smile on your face because we all went through it. Originally when we lost our money to Bitcoin, the Bitcoinica's major wallet was sitting on Mount Gox while Bitcoinica was in liquidation and now Mount Gox is gone. Like we, I don't think I'm ever going to money again, which is quite a bit. But I'm not giving up. I'm not going to give up on the technology or Bitcoin. I just give up on, you know, it's a loss. But it's a huge learning lesson. Huge learning lesson. Well, this has been a great interview. I'd like to thank you very much for being on. Absolutely. And I very much enjoyed your show. It's been a great conference, Bitcoin in the Beltway. And until next time, bye-bye. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to episode 125 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for this show is provided by Adam B. Levine, Andreas M. Antonopoulos, and Thomas Hunt. This episode was edited by Adam B. Levine. Music for today's show was provided by Jared Rubens and Cyrus FX. Any questions or comments? Get involved over at the forums at letstalkbitcoin.com and start earning some of that sweet, sweet LTB coin for yourself. I'll see you there.